Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to part two of our acute abdomen, GI applications, select topics. So let's just talk a little bit about small bowel, and we've spoken about this before, and I'll just make a few points. Uh, again, the use of uh, beyond the axial imaging, good article by Hung, speaking about the possibility of using 3D imaging, uh, Again, the ability to make more accurate diagnosis, to do them faster and do them easier becomes very critical. When we speak about the small bowel, we often, in the acute abdomen setting, are speaking about ischemia or infarction, both from arterial and venous side. Arterial is probably more common. We're typically talking about atherosclerosis. Can be due to embolic phenomena or even trauma. On the venous side, venous thrombosis, be it due to processes like tumor, portal hypertension, or estrogen use might be an example. We talk about small bowel ischemia, the spectrum from just mild dilatation to air in the bowel wall or portal vein. The mild dilatation, that makes it a tough call. The back end, mesenteric venous air, portal venous air makes it easy. But again, at that point, the morbidity and mortality are indeed very high. So the earlier we can diagnose, the better. CT angiography works out very nicely. We're doing volume acquisitions. Look at the vessels. In this case, you can see the SMA is narrowed but not occluded. There's thrombus present, and you can see it in multiple views. It's much easier to appreciate and understand in 3D. Now, in this case, there is collateral vessels. The vessel is still patent, but you can see why this patient would be at risk for occlusion and potentially surgery or stenting would be necessary. Another example. Here we look at the bowel, it's dilated. Remember I spoke about dilated bowel, but it's not enhancing very well. It almost looks like I didn't give any contrast. On the coronal, there's the suggestion of pneumatosis. Well, when you look at the sagittals, which are critical for looking for ischemic bowel, look at the patient's SMA. See how the SMA has thrombus in it, but notice the proximal SMA looks perfect. And this is commonly missed because people look at the axial images, they look at the beginning of the vessel, the vessel looks good, they then miss that the vessel's occluded. This patient went to surgery, the thrombus was removed, about 35 cm of bowel were resected, and here's the patient a week later. Early diagnosis, critical. This patient has the same example as the last case, except that the diagnosis was made probably a bit quicker. Maybe the patient presented earlier. You see the occluded SMA. Again, proximally looks good. You see the bowel wall thickening. You see the mesenteric stranding. And here's a few more views to show it as well. But you recognize uh, this patient went to surgery, thrombus removed, the bowel became pink, patient was watched, no surgery of bowel was necessary. So again, very, very critical diagnosis. Sagittal view is perfect. Now, with small bowel thickening, the thickening is often symmetric, but it's not always specific. This could be Crohn's, could be radiation enteritis, could be ischemic bowel, could be a number of different possibilities. With ischemia, it's often long segments, and it's often symmetric, as in this example. Uh, you can see the patient's bowel is dilated to the area where this wall thickening due to prior ischemia. You also can see in the acute setting this hyperemia. So here the bowel loops are all dilated. This is a patient with what would be considered a mid-gut volvulus. We talk about, in ischemic change, hyperemia or low flow. Rather, hyperemia means high flow, but we're also going to talk about low flow and high flow. So in the hyperemia state, the bowel is thickened. You have this very, very bright enhancement. Okay, classic, classic, classic for ischemic bowel. Beautiful example. You see the, the vessels, the thickening of the vessels, 
going right up to the abnormal bowel. And I'm showing you a number of examples because I really like this case. And I want you to get a feel of what we're looking at. You can see thickened bowel and other examples. This patient has a large carcinoid tumor, desmoplastic reaction. Look at those thickened vessels. And look at the bowel loops. They're all dilated and thickened. Here it's increasing enhancement in the mucosa but a very, very classic appearance. And this is almost like a chronic ischemia. Desmoplastic reaction, tethers the vessels, and these patients can develop infarcted bowel, but I want you to get a feel on volume rendering and on MIP, how this indeed looks. So it indeed becomes a very wide spectrum of findings. Now I mentioned about the importance of looking beyond the axial plane, and I'm showing it to you in examples. Every case I've showed you has been 3D and a combination of 3D and MPR. And again, an article by Yakamai shows that it has positive impact on the workflow. It increases your accuracy. And potentially in the future, maybe we won't look at axial imaging. Things like pneumatosis are easy to recognize in the coronal display. You really see those small bowel loops. And you see the air above and below and around the loop. There's no partial averaging. And particularly in sagittal view, look at the lower pelvis. Look at that small bowel loop surrounded by air classic pneumatosis and again if you want to see it better just put it on lung window now it's interesting pneumatosis uh, we always think it means ischemic bowel and I always do worry about that personally but it's shown to be present in a large number of non-acute settings so let me look at that for a moment and talk about that just to give you some examples pneumatosis is a bubbly pattern of air in the bowel wall and again can be incidental or life-threatening and it can be tricky. We've seen patients who have pneumatosis who look fine and you say, ah, oh, it's nothing. Then they crash an hour later. So you gotta look at the entire spectrum. Another example, here's a case, really impressive pneumatosis. Again, showing you the importance of looking at lung window. And here is soft tissue and lung window uh, of that case. You can see here, you see distended bowel, but you don't really appreciate the pneumatosis. That was so obvious in the coronals, so obvious on the 3D imaging. So again, pneumatosis can be overlooked unless you're looking very carefully. So let's look at pneumatosis beyond ischemia. And as this article mentions, there are a lot of new medications and surgical procedures that are potentially the reason why we're seeing more pneumatosis. So here are the benign causes. And let's go through them in a little bit more detail. So if we say pulmonary, we mean asthma, bronchitis, emphysema, pulmonary fibrosis, cystic fibrosis, patients on PEEP, all can cause increased pressure and can cause air tracking into bowel wall. We can see it with systemic diseases like lupus and scleroderma, even in AIDS. We can see it from a range of GI causes, from pyloric stenosis to enteritis, from obstruction to colitis, from leukemia to parasites and diverticulitis, a very wide spectrum, though not that common to see it with diverticulitis, for example. We can see it iatrogenic, and we've seen this with endoscopy, particularly with sphincterotomy. We've seen it with barium enemas. We've seen it with bypasses. Any type of procedure can cause pneumatosis, and certain medications, corticosteroids, are the most common. But sorbitol, you know, patients on the low-carb diets, you can see it from that reason. And then patients, of course, with organ transplants, that's a well-known, whether it's bone marrow or kidney or liver, you can see it being present. Of course, we're trying to separate the benign from the life-threatening causes. Ischemia is what we think about. Uh, again, there's a spectrum, but you need to be very careful. 
And if I'm going to err, I'm going to err on the side of caution. And I'm going to say, I see the pneumatosis. I don't see a cause. And I, I want to make certain that we rule out you know, any abnormality. Perhaps the patient needs to get a lactic acid. Needs to watch carefully. Obviously, if you see portal venous air and you see air in bowel wall, it's ischemia, infarction, emergency surgery. But important to recognize, portal venous air is not always seen. Not always seen in patients who have... Uh, infarcted bowel, it can be due to things as uh, simple as post-colonoscopy or post-ERCP. And I once read an article about that. And there are a number of different possibilities. So again, think about it. It can be a tricky diagnosis. Ischemic bowel is not always an easy diagnosis. And some of the signs are not always specific. CT is great, but think of other possibilities. Now what else? Crohn's disease. We've spoken about Crohn's disease, speaking about the uh, triad of looking at bowel wall, looking at mesentery, and extraintestinal complications. We talk about bowel wall thickening, typically about a centimeter in size. Skip lesions are common. Fiber fatty proliferation, very common, more than half the patients. And we can see hypervascularity of the distal mesenteric vessels, the so-called comb sign. And it's been shown that the brighter the increased vascularity is, the more likely the patient has active disease. And there are a number of different findings in active disease. This mural thickening and enhancement, the increased attenuation of fat. You can look at this example, look at the distal bowel wall thickening, the increased fat, small nodes, the haziness in the mesentery, the dilated proximal bowel. So again, sometimes it can be tricky. What's active disease? What's due to stricture? Things we look at, halo signs, submucosal edema, originally described in ulcerative colitis, can be seen in radiation enteritis, can be seen in certain uh, different vasculitis, can be seen with infectious causes, for example. But we commonly think about it with um, Crohn's disease. One good finding, a halo is never seen in patients with neoplasm. And here's just a long list of some of the causes of a halo sign. Now, when we look at Crohn's disease with CT, we can see areas of stricture. And you can see it very nicely in this example. The patient, in fact, has multiple areas of stricture. Here's one example. Also, this case shows you that water is a wonderful contrast agent. You can see the mucosal enhancement nicely. You can see the transitions nicely. And here's another view of that bowel loop. And here are a few more bowel loops in 3D and 2D imaging. We speak about how critical it is to look at the bowel loops. So in this case, look at the increased mesenteric flow. Very, very nicely showing you that in a patient with Crohn's disease, particularly to the right lower quadrant. So again, looking at bowel. Now we talk about bowel enhancement. I mentioned before when I spoke about ischemia, I spoke about hyperemia or lack of good visualization of enhancement. We talk about this hyperemia or white bowel. We mentioned ischemia. And in that situation, it's often altered permeability. You can see it in IBD due to hyperemia. I mentioned you can sometimes see it in patients normally, but um, that usually looks differently. So for example, this case here, the bowel is very white. You see the bowel is also deformed. It's not the normal pattern, so it's strictured. You see increased flow. The vessels look funny. This is a good example of a comb sign, prominent and increased separation of the vasorecta. Uh, more common in small bowel than in large bowel. Another example, active Crohn's disease. Look how diseased the bowel looks. Look at the induration, the stricturing, the increased flow, the comb sign.
CT is good at looking at transitions. Bowel is obstructed. Why? Well, look at the distal small bowel. There's multiple thickened loops of bowel, and there's hyperemia to the bowel loop. Look at those prominent vessels, and I'll show you a few series of images. Look at the prominent vessels. Look at the thickened bowel. Look at the hyperemia. Look at the transition zone. This is classic, classic, classic as we go from there to here for a patient with active Crohn's disease, and the patient can be managed aggressively. And again, here's the article I mentioned before, very much makes this point. So again, very nice visualization, diagnosis and management at the same time. Now, when you look at the patient, um, this patient has active Crohn's disease. You can see that little beating around the bowel. And in this case, when you look at it in a coronal display, it's even better. Look at the featureless transverse colon and when I give you the 3D, look at all those tiny vessels extending to the bowel. That's classic. That's again, in a sense, the comb sign to large bowel. So again, what CT does in this case is not only take us from the detection of disease, but also puts us into the category of being able to look and determine disease activity. So in small bowel, you know, when you take it from a general perspective, you're trying to answer several questions. Is there a bowel obstruction present? If there is, what's the cause? And do I need to do something about it? So in some cases like this, the bowel is dilated, there's no mass, there's no internal hernia, this patient's had prior surgery, it's adhesions, okay? Treat the patient conservatively, most of the time the patient will do well. We can see certain signs. Look at the patient's small bowel. It looks like it's large bowel. It has feces in it. That's a so-called feces sign. You follow the transition of feces to the area where there's no quote-unquote feces, that's where the transition is. Very, very nice example in this case. And the comb sign is one of the helpful signs in both detecting the presence of obstruction, but defining the site of obstruction. And again, using a combination of MIP and volume rendering and 3D mapping, we have beautiful visualization of the mesenteric vasculature. Or in this example, abdominal pain, patient has implants on the liver, there's thickening of the stomach, there's gastric cancer, and then there's ascites and carcinomatosis. And it's this carcinomatosis that's obstructing the small bowel in the right lower quadrant. You can see as we go through the images, we see the ascites, we see the thickened stomach, that's the gastric cancer. But when you go into the pelvis, look at the thickened bowel, induration, haziness, implants right lower quadrant, implants on bowel, implants on omentum, very, very classic. We also see strange things at times. This is a patient, look at these images. What's that in the duodenum? Well, you'll notice, looks like a mass, but then you notice this patient has air in the biliary tree but hasn't had a sphincterotomy. And you say, wait a second, this patient had a gallstone, which we're not seeing anymore. Now all of a sudden you recognize this patient has gallstone ileus. Very unusual diagnosis, but one that you need to think about. Usually the stone obstructs in the distal ilium, but it can obstruct more proximal. And there have been several articles talking about CT and gallstone ileus. It's not the most common topic to talk about, but again, it does make the point how CT can show it even when it's unexpected. Undiagnosed mortality rate goes up quickly. It's more common in elderly patients and more common in women patients. Again, small bowel obstruction is its presentation but um, range of presentations. Key things, air and biliary tree, air and gallbladder, intestinal obstruction, most commonly ileum where it impacts, and a biliary enteric fistula by appearance. So again, very, very important to recognize.
Another thing I've commented before is this SMA syndrome, cause of abdominal pain, but also cause of nausea and vomiting, gastric outlet. So the patient presents left upper quadrant pain, right upper quadrant pain, stomach's distended. You look at the duodenum, it's distended to the level of the SMA, then it's obstructed. Look at the sagittal view, look at the angle between the SMA and the aorta, there is no angle. That's classic for SMA occlusion. Very nice example of uh, this SMA syndrome, not so much SMA occlusion, rather. SMA syndrome, uh, you also get compression, as you see here, of the renal vein, so-called nutcracker phenomena, but just beautiful example. The angle is low, it's down to a few degrees instead of being over 25. Just a very important diagnosis because when you make the diagnosis, you can treat the patient. Uh, otherwise, these patients go on and on from doctor to doctor. No one can figure out what's going on. Now, I spoke previously about GI bleeding in the acute abdomen and CT. A number of articles like this one, this image, show it to be very good at detecting the sites of bleeding. This was a patient with a small uh, bleed in the jejunum, and the jejunum was resected. So again, something to, uh, to be considered. To do these studies, you need to inject quickly, do dual-phase imaging, no oral contrast on board, and we've been pretty successful, and there's a lot of work in the literature about this. The last thing let me comment on in the acute abdomen, since we have an exhibit on this at RSNA, is this case. Look at the stomach. There's air in the patient's stomach, that so-called gastric emphysema. Now, in this case, we see air in the biliary tree. That's worrisome. When you see a combination of factors like this, you have to worry about a about infarction of the stomach. This patient did have a gastrectomy, I believe, and this was infarction. We see other cases. The ones that do badly with air in the stomach is when they have other areas of air. It may be in small bowel, it may be in large bowel, which is the case in this patient. So you see lots of air. Or this example, lots of air in the gastric wall. Portal venous air, that's very bad. Air in the colon, air in the small bowel, and very extensive air. This patient eventually died. So when you just have some air in the stomach, it can be what used to be considered gastric emphysema rather than emphyseminous gastritis. It's often a self-resolving process in a day or two. But when you see other findings like air in bowel or air in the portal venous system, then you've got to think emphyseminous gastritis. This can be a surgical emergency. So let me conclude then. I've hopefully made some good points, showed some great cases. That CT plays a critical role in the acute abdomen. It's cost-effective. It's excellent for detecting the cause of an acute abdomen, and there are many causes. I only covered a couple. Determine the etiology of the extent of disease, which, again, then patients can be treated correctly and managed correctly, and help guide surgical versus medical management. So whether it's a bowel obstruction, whether it's a splenic artery pseudoaneurysm, whether it's adrenal bleed, whatever the cause is, you know what to do, and you'll make the best decision. And with that... The best decision I can tell you to make is see us next time.